Jesus Christ is risen. It was nearly 2,000 years ago that what seemed like the worst thing that ever happened in human history became the best thing that ever happened to us in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to see why the resurrection of Jesus is such great news. Why is it such great news? Why is this cause for such celebration? We're going to examine three things today. We're going to look at who Jesus is. We're going to look at what Jesus came to do. And we're going to answer the question, why does it matter? Uh, And so uh, let's just jump in. Who is Jesus? Most Americans know that Jesus is a dude that lived in Israel a couple thousand years ago. Most, most Americans know that, although we had a thousand kids at our VBS last year. By His grace, several hundred of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ. But would you know that there were several kids who had never heard the name of Jesus? They had no idea who Jesus was. I'm like, how is that possible? We live in the Bible Belt of Southern California in Temecula, and, and they'd never heard the name of Jesus, didn't know who He was. But most Americans do know that Jesus was a guy who lived in Jerusalem a couple thousand years ago, lived in Israel. Worldwide, Jesus is known uh, by many people and several religions. Several religions revere Jesus uh, as a good teacher and as a prophet worldwide. Jesus is generally seen as someone to be revered and respected His good life is cited by many. I heard the story of a teenage kid. He was hassling his father. He's like, when are you going to give me the keys to the car? When are you going to let me drive the car? When are you going to let me drive the car? And his father finally exasperated. He said, look, here's a start. Why don't you get a haircut? And then we can talk about you driving. He says, well, Jesus had long hair. He's like, yeah, and he walked everywhere he went too. So who is Jesus? Was he just a guy that lived a couple thousand years ago? Yes, he was. Was he a good teacher? Yes, he was. Was he a prophet? Yes, he was. And we, as followers of Christ, we would say, yes, he is, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is alive forevermore. He has risen from the dead. The Bible says he's ascended into heaven, that that he is right now at this moment at the right hand of the throne of God. By the way, he's there praying for you and me by name. Uh, and so, so that's who Jesus is, and all of that is true, but that's not the whole story. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God in human form. John, the God, John said this, the Apostle John in John's Gospel, he said, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace And truth. Jesus, speaking of himself, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He went on to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Now that brings up the next question, what did Jesus come to do? Talk about the Father doing a work through him. What is that work? What did he come to do? Well, the short answer is this, that Jesus came to give his life for you and for me. Jesus said in Mark's gospel, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said that when we, you and me, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Why is it that Jesus Christ had to die? 
Well, again, the short answer is to save you and to save me. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, Christ died to save dead men that they might rise to be living men. This is what Jesus came to do. And that's our theme this Easter Sunday. It is that Jesus saves. And this message that Jesus saves, it comes straight from God. It is the central truth of the Bible. Jesus saves. The psalmist said this, Our God is a God who saves. Hallelujah. The sovereign Lord rescues us from death. The apostle Peter said this, he said that Christ suffered for our sins once and for all, Uh, once and for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Now, for us to fully understand that message, it is critical to understand this irrefutable truth, and that is this, that everyone needs salvation. Every last one of us, you need salvation, I need salvation, the guy or gal sitting next to you needs salvation, this beautiful little gal with a pink dress needs salvation, every one of us needs salvation. Um, Why? Because the Bible says that every human being who has ever lived has sinned, everyone has sinned, ain't nobody hasn't sinned, everybody has sinned. To sin is to do or to fail to do something, whether it's in thought, whether it's in word, whether it's in deed. Uh, Sin is either to do something you shouldn't do or fail to do something that you should do that is contrary to God's perfect and holy character. And because of our sin, the Bible says that we deserve judgment from God. The Bible says this in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. Here's how that works. You work throughout the week. At the end of the week, it's payday. Give me my wages. What are your wages? That's what you've earned for the work that you have done. What the, the actions that you have done during the week make you qualified to receive wages at the end of the week. And Jesus, God makes it very clear in his word that the wages that we receive for being sinners who miss God's mark is death. That's what we have earned. So payday for us is death. Why? Listen, because God is holy, because he's righteous, because he's perfectly just. And if he fails to judge us, then he isn't righteous. Then he isn't perfectly just as that holy judge, as that righteous judge. Any judge in a court of law, what makes them righteous is that they equally apply the law. They carry out the law and everybody is held to the standard of the law. They don't show favoritism. And so God, he's holy, he's perfectly just, and so he has to judge sin. And listen, by the way, since God is infinite, when we sin against an infinite God, well, what happens then is God judges us and that judgment is infinite because we've sinned against an infinite God. And so we not only experience death because of our sin, but the Bible says that we will spend eternity in hell because of our sin. Now, contrary to what you may have heard about hell, even in the news this week, it is a very real place. Hell is a very real place. Jesus spoke often about hell. Why? Well, he doesn't love it, 
And he doesn't want you to go to it. He wants to spare you from that. The last place in the world God wants you to do is go to hell. And I hear from people all the time. They say, well, gosh, if God's so loving, why does he send people to hell? If God is a loving God, why does he send good people to go to hell? And I say, well, there's two fundamental problems with that question. Number one, uh, people aren't good. Bible makes it abundantly clear. It doesn't matter if you think you're good. Uh, People inherently are not good. The psalmist said this, there is none who does good. They've all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. In other words, on your best day, the best work that you could possibly do in your flesh is, is corrupted and not, and not righteous before God. So, so there, there's nobody good. Second problem with the question that says, how can a loving God send good people to hell? The second problem is, God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell. God has done everything he can do to save you and me from going to hell. He so loves you, the Bible says, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, wouldn't go to hell, but would have instead everlasting life. Here's the truth. If you go to hell, it's literally over Jesus' dead body. And yet, amazingly, there are those people that will reject the gospel and the good news. This is why what Jesus came to do matters to you. This is why it matters. This is why we should pay attention. Because when it comes to your sinful guilt, and you are, you're guilty. I'm guilty. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. And so when it comes to our guilt, you only got one of two choices. You can either receive Jesus and his work of redemption on the cross that he died on the cross for your sins in your place. And you can believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ and you can confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. And I will give everyone an opportunity to do that today as we're in prayer when we're closing the message. I'll be be inviting you to, to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. And you can do that and receive that free gift of salvation and that forgiveness and that cleansing. Or your second option is you can reject Jesus, you can reject his work of redemption, and you can face the penalty of your sins on your own. Maybe you were with us when we went through the book of Revelation recently, and in the book of Revelation, it's very clear, there's a section there where it talks about God's coming judgment, and it tells us very clearly that in God's coming judgment, that he will judge people according to their works. Now, he will either judge you according to Jesus' work, or he'll judge you according to your work. And so there is a whole slew of people who God will judge according to their work. And basically, what those people did is they either rejected God and said, I'm going to do what I want, or they were deceived and they said, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God, but my way to heaven is going to be, you know, because of what I do. These are people, if you were asking the question, how do you know you're going to heaven? And I would ask you the question today, how do you know you're going to heaven? And the answer to that question, pay attention to it. Because if your answer is something to the effect of, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven because my good works outweigh my bad works. I'm going to go to heaven because, you know, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm going to go to heaven because, you know, I'm not, I'm not Charles Manson or anything like that right? That's a, that's, a, that's a crazy standard right there, right? You're going to get into heaven because you're not a mass murderer, you know? Um, that's a pretty low bar. 
You know, even for God, that's a pretty low bar. If you are depending on your work, see, if the equation involves what you do and what you don't do, then you're in trouble because the Bible says if you're judged according to your works, the end result, you can go to the book of Revelation, read it for yourself, it's a lake of fire. It's, where the, it's the place that was created for Satan and his demons. And listen, there ain't no place left for you. God created heaven for you and for me, and that's available for us. But if you reject that, there's no place left for you to go. The, you, you go to the place where God ain't. That's hell. And so this is the decision that we need to understand, that there's one of two choices. We either receive Jesus or we reject Jesus. There is no in-between. And listen, here's what you got to understand. If you reject Jesus, not only is the end result death, that you will die physically, and the Bible says everybody dies. It's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. Bible says in the book of James, what's your life? It's a vapor. You're here for a little while, and then you're gone, baby. And what happens then? Man, your physical death now brings you before the Lord, and now it's, what's it going to be? Is it spiritual death? Am I going to die for all eternity, or am I going to live for all eternity? Well, by the way, you're going to live for all eternity. Just the question is where? You're either going to live for all eternity in heaven, or you're going to live for all eternity in hell. So you, you want to be able to understand, man... Not only does sin result in this death in the ultimate sense, but sin brings death to every part of our lives. Brings death to us relationally. Brings death to us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We'll come back to that, but here's the thing. Whether or not you believe me on this, whether or not you believe the Bible on this, doesn't really matter. Because the thing is, uh, well, I mean, it does matter, but, but it's not going to make the message untrue. Whether you believe me or not. If you go, ah, Pastor Ted, I don't believe you. Well, it doesn't make the message untrue. As a matter of fact, listen, the Bible says that God has written the Bible in your DNA. Did you know that? The Bible, whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it as true, if you're going to take the attitude to say, well, men wrote the Bible. Yes, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the very words of God. Well, I don't believe that. Well, God programmed your, your body with his word written in your body. It's inscribed on your heart, the scripture said. I'll share it with you. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Even Gentiles, that's speaking of people who reject God, <clears throat> even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written, here it is, on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. Here's how it works. Experientially, you know this is true. Experientially, you, every one of you, have experienced the fact that God's law is written on your heart. Because if you lie, if you cheat, or if you steal, or if somebody lies or cheats and steals against you, something is done wrong against you, there is something inside you that says, this is wrong. Where does that come from? Because if there is no moral standard, if God hasn't established right and wrong, then when, when you do something, why do you feel guilt and shame? It's not because of society. It's because of God's law in your heart that tells you it's wrong. And so what happens then is that if somebody wrongs you and you say, that's wrong, well, where does that come from, this concept of right or wrong? They might say, well, that's wrong to you. It's not wrong to me. No, that's wrong. 
Yes, it is wrong because God's word says it's wrong. See, here's, here's the bottom line. The Bible says that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's not a matter of saying, well, that's your truth and you live by your truth and I'm going to live by my truth and we'll all just do what we're going to do. No, truth by nature only has one definition. Truth by nature is this is true and that is not true. You climb up on top of a building and you jump off. Gravity is true. You'll discover that. You cannot believe gravity all day long. The truth, in this case, ain't going to set you free. It's going to be, it's going to, you know, be something that is an inconvenient truth, but it is the truth nonetheless. God desires, 1 Timothy 2.4, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, Jesus, on the day that he was betrayed, he went before Pontius Pilate. He was on trial. And Jesus spoke to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, by the way, was the Roman governor of Jerusalem. And so Jesus there before Pontius Pilate, he says to him, I have come into the world that I might bear witness to the truth. Now Pilate responds, he says, what is truth? And the way that Pilate responds, the language that he uses, and and the way that it's expressed tells us what's going on in Pilate's heart. Pilate's response isn't, oh, yes, please tell me the truth. I want to know the truth. His response is, who can know the truth? Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. He's like, what is the truth? What's the truth about life and death and heaven and hell and blessings and cursings and and, and all of this? Like, who can can possibly, nobody can know the truth, right? (coughs) Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Who, Who knows that? This is Pilate's attitude. Well, many of you are asking the same question today. Maybe you're here and you're going, gosh, you know, what is the truth? Can you even really know the truth? How do you know the stuff you're saying is the truth? Listen, the truth is God loves you. That he desperately desires a relationship with you. The Bible says God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Hey, the truth is God has gone to great lengths to save you from Satan and sin and death. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what that means. It means you didn't do or add anything to the equation. Again, in a few minutes, I'm going to give you an invitation to respond to the invitation. And a lot of people, their attitude is, well, you know what, I don't, I, 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 I can't, I have no business praying that because I've, I've got a lot of sin in my life. I've done a lot of bad things. I've got to clean up my life a little bit before I come to God. No, no, no. You bring nothing to the equation. God demonstrates his own love for you in that while you're yet sinner, while you're, you know, metaphorically the Easter story spitting in Jesus' face, nailing him to the cross, which you weren't alive then, but it's your sins that sent him to the cross. And so that's you. Why did Jesus die? Because you're a sinner. You could have been the only one on the face of the earth. He would have died for you. And he did that while you're yet a sinner. Jesus died for you. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus died for you. That's the truth. The truth, listen, today you can receive forgiveness for your sins. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins... Confession means to agree with God. That's what the word means. 
It means that you agree that your sin is in fact sin. You don't give some cute name to it. You don't give some cute medical diagnosis to it. You don't wink at it. You don't make an excuse for it. You say, that is sin. God have mercy on me. That's sin. You agree with God about what God thinks about your sin, that it needs to be repented of, that it needs to be confessed, and Lord, set me free from this thing. Have mercy on me. You agree with God that Jesus died for that sin. Satan, he'll tempt you. He'll get you to sin, and then he jumps over the fence and takes the other position and says, oh, you, you can't go to God now, you loser. Look, you're a sinner. Look what you just did. You, gotta go, you, you better go make it up to God. Clean up your life a little bit. Then maybe you can come to God. After, you know, you say, you know, a few prayers or help some old lady across the street, whatever it is, you better clean your life up. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, this is sin. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, you died for this sin. I can come boldly before your throne of grace right this now, right this minute, right now. You can do that this morning. Hey, here's the truth. You can have a do-over. In Christ Jesus, he gives us a do-over. Paul told the Corinthians, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. In just a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you an invitation to start over, to let Jesus make you new. I'm going to invite you to pray. And as we're praying, I'm going to ask you to give your life to the Lord. Raise your hand and ask him to forgive you and cleanse you of your sin. Listen, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that he made man in his own image. And that means a lot of things. One of the things it means that God has made us in his own image is that he's created you and me with a sovereign will. A sovereign will. What is a sovereign will? It's one that you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. And God says to you, look, I set before you today life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life. God doesn't force himself upon you. He gives you the opportunity to repent, to receive Jesus Christ. But he ain't going to make you do it. He's not going to force that upon you. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, what we see is that he did that with Adam and Eve, and they chose poorly. They rebelled against God. They believed the lie of Satan. They disobeyed God, and the Bible calls that sin. Sin's an archery term, by the way. It means to miss the mark. And the implication is is that you can try really hard, and you can be trying really hard to hit the mark, but you ain't always going to hit the bullseye. Some point, at some point in time, you're going to miss, and you're going to miss a lot. And some of you have missed a lot, and you're going to miss a lot in the future because we're all sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible calls that sin, and the implication is you can miss without really wanting to, but regardless of our intention, the Bible's clear about sin and its consequences. Number one, that we've all done it and that we will do it again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Number two, that it leads to death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And again, ultimately, this speaks of spiritual death, but the truth is, death, sin brings death to every part of our lives. Think about this in your life, how you know this is true experientially, how the effects of sin are all around us. It's evident in the guilt and the shame and the burdens that we care. By the way, this is why drug abuse and alcohol abuse is so rampant in our, in our society, in the world. Why? Because it's a means of escape. It's a means of anesthetizing us to the guilt and the shame that we feel. Some of you, maybe you're there today. You know exactly what I'm talking about. 
The effects of guilt and sin, they're also evident in spiritual and emotional decay. They bring the death of our relationships, the death of our peace in our homes because of sin and its effects, death to our marriages, death to our families. These, these are the things that, that sin does. And, and again, some of you have experienced this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're perhaps in the middle of it right now. Ultimately, the effects of sin leave us hopeless and lacking hope. Let me ask you a question. Do you have hope this morning? Do you have hope? Because you can have hope in Jesus Christ. You can have peace in Jesus Christ. The Bible says when that when we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that in Jesus, we also have access by faith into God's grace and into his hope. Listen, that's the good news, good news of Easter, guys. Good news of Easter. There's hope because Jesus is saves. He wants to save you. We have a Father in heaven who loves us. He's gone to great lengths to redeem us. A lot of people relate to God as if he's an angry God, as if he's angry at you, as if, as if you, know, you, you, you know, he just wants to punish you. That is not the case. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Key word there is mediator. Dictionary defines mediator as one who in, intervenes between two, between two different parties. What's the mediator do? It, the mediator makes or restores peace and friendship. Do you have peace and friendship with God? Today, you can have that through Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, what then shall we say to these things? Listen carefully. If God is for us, and I'm telling you today, this Easter Sunday, 2018, God is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, all is also risen. Who is, here it is, even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Jesus, right this moment, has ascended into heaven because he rose from the dead. He's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God and he's praying for you by name. That's what this verse means. He's praying for you right now. Jesus is praying for you. He knows your name. Maybe you've wandered. Maybe you think it's too late. Maybe you think you've done too much. Nope. Bible says neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what do we do with this church? We respond. We respond to the love of God. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray. And as we're praying now, I want to invite you to listen to the word of God, listen to the voice of God as he offers to you today forgiveness, cleansing, eternal life, a complete do-over. He promises to make you a new creation.